Welcome to the Ember Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today as we gather together to wrestle with the ways that these ancient texts collide with our everyday lives as 21st century people. Using art, music, and the world around us as our guide, we hope to breathe new life into these texts and that our conversations spark as much curiosity and creativity for you as they do for us. Hi, I'm Jeremy Grafe. I lead Ember Faith Community here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Hi, I'm Allison Spooner, and I'm the pastor at Faith Emmanuel and Hope Presbyterian Churches. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wallace, and I'm a PhD student in Bible and Cultures at Drew University. For this season of the podcast, we will be taking a look at the book of Ephesians, one of several New Testament texts attributed to the Apostle Paul. We will be talking about the uniqueness of the letter as a medium for scripture and what ancient letters like Ephesians might have to say to us about God's work in the world today. Thanks for tuning in. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So this week on the podcast, we are still talking about what some call the household codes in the book of Ephesians, which if you were listening last week, the three of us are not stoked on um, for a number of reasons, primarily because it's been used to the great detriment of a great many people, whether they were women who were stuck in an abusive relationship with a husband who represented a danger to their health and safety or enslaving a whole race of people. In all seriousness, we can't overstate how much harm has been caused because of some of Ephesians. We're wrestling with this too. Thanks for tuning in and wrestling with us. Right off the bat, we get this part about slaves obey your earthly masters. Uh, which again, the it is um, to me horribly idolatrous. Even as somebody who then follows up with the idea of being a slave of Christ, of all of us being, you know, having Christ as our master, um, that is just totally contradictory to me. That anybody should be subject to another human being in that way. Um, it 
the the message of the gospels i think is inherently liberative um and i would say this is a perversion of that yeah and beyond that i mean we can't talk about slavery in the past tense yeah. It's very hard to come to grips with the fact that human trafficking and slavering is still a reality in the 21st century. Anywhere in the world, much less in the United States, much less in a relatively affluent city. I think that's a reality we can so easily turn a blind eye to um, and often choose to do that. Um, but uh, th that doesn't mean it goes away. No. So one of our specific problems with this specific verse is this has literally been used to keep the institution of slavery alive at certain parts of history. But I think the point that we're making about human trafficking now is this really hasn't gone away. Like this is still something that's part of our our reality, even if it's just out of sight. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating, though, because... You know, it starts with this um, almost justification for slavery, which, again, we are not happy about. But then there's also this language of um, our God. There's no partiality with God, um, which to me should be used to confront the whole institution of slavery, the whole idea that any human being would be able to have inherent power over another human being. Um, so own one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, sort of ironic disappointing that, that verse nine follows directly on the heels um, of this injunction to slaves obeying their earthly masters. I mean, I think this is a, this is exactly one of those moments like the wives and husbands moment where you can see that the author is trying to do something about mutuality. He's trying to say something as to the effect of you should be mindful and caring of one another. You should be concerned with the people who are around you. You should be you should be in relationship with them whoever they might be. But falls so woefully short <laughs> that it's it's kind of astounding and mm -hmm. and again this is another place where we walk we walk with the burden of the history of interpretation and we walk with the burden of the tradition of all of the ways that powerful christian institutions have failed <laughs> to to uphold the imago day in all people not just people that look like themselves and when I think about that, I mean, there's the Imago Dei thing, but there's also in Matthew 25 when Jesus is talking about essentially a kind of compassion for other people and exhibiting caring through clothing and feeding and visiting um, shut-ins and people in prison. That which you did to them, you did to me, or that which you did not do for them, you didn't do for me. How can a people that that is... Uh, an important scriptural touchstone not look at the institution of slavery and say oh this person who is made in the image of God this person who I've been told I should think of as like uh, a stand-in for Christ 
I've enslaved this person. I don't understand. And maybe this is my modern perspective, but I don't understand how you can have that in one hand and in the other hand still think that it's okay to enslave someone. I have a theory that um, nobody ever thinks that that is actually okay, but um, will protect themselves and protect things that they know are wrong by um, double getting defensive and doubling down. Um, but I feel like in at the depth of our hearts, we all know that's wrong. No matter what time you're living in, uh, we know. Otherwise, we wouldn't have tried so hard to, you know, keep things going that we know should be torn down. Um, you don't have to justify something that's inherently good. It's self-evident. Yeah. That I that is just, it's difficult to reckon with. We've been talking about all of the ways in which the household codes in particular and scripture in general can get weaponized and used um, against people. And I think it's kind of interesting and telling that in this very next section, in this, this chunk about the armor of God, that there's only one weapon. And that weapon has some resonances with other parts of scripture that we've helpfully already dealt with. See also, Revelation. <laughs> yes. Okay, so do we want to go through the armor of God? Like piece by piece? Yeah, why not? Well, let's... Trot out the whole playset? <laughs> what if... What, I mean, I think there's really two interesting parts. Two very interesting parts to us. Maybe three points, but two interesting parts. Um, this, the, the belt of truth and the, the sword. Um, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which, as we just mentioned, has some resonances with revelation and the, the double-edged sword that comes from the mouth of the lamb. Um, and the, that that sword is in a way a representative of the call to witness or the word, the word of Christ. Um, and I think we talked, we were talking before we started recording um, about the like playset versions of the armor of God or the ways in Sunday school, we would like cut out like a shield and we would cut out a sword and we'd, we'd, I remember at youth group doing armor of God relay races where oh like goodness. you had to, we were in two teams and you had to like put on the whole armor of God and like name it as you went and then like run to the other side, take it off and someone else had to put it back on and then do it again and run back and forth. And, and all the the kind of like whimsical, ridiculous things <laughs> and the, the, that we've done with this kind of suit of armor. Um, and the fact that it's armor, I think sometimes bothers me. Um, cause there's this idea that we're militarizing or weaponizing ourselves for God or becoming some kind of army for God. But the sword and the belt of truth to me are two places that point that maybe that's not really exactly what's going on here. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking about it, I was thinking about some of, some of the prophets that actually show up in the Bible. And last episode, we were kind of imagining what it would look like if there were additions to the canon, like what does it look like for someone to be dressed in the armor of God? And I think Martin Luther King Jr. And here's a guy who's wearing a suit, which that was all the armor that he needed to say what he needed to say. And his most powerful weapon 
were literally the words that came out of his mouth. And words of truth. Yeah. yeah. And just the incredible amount of courage that he had to say what he would say in the time period when he said it. Um, he was very convicted by his faith. That was the main driver. There were certainly plenty of like civic and secular reasons to stand up against Jim Crow. But his had everything to do with his bedrock belief in God's shalom and being deeply convicted but also encouraged by the faith that he found. I'd like to reclaim some of this idea of the armor of God because we're living in a time where there's so much fear, uh, fear for people's physical bodies as well as just fear of um, fear of trends in culture and, and other things. Um, I literally had a conversation with someone yesterday who said they um, they don't go into Harrisburg unarmed. Uh, so that idea to me that the only armor you need is the armor of faith and of um, of truth of the word uh, you don't you we don't need to um, to take up arms as such yeah I don't know what I'm going oh with. we don't need to have armed security guards in our churches yeah that's where I'm going with that there there's something really empowering about saying we don't you don't need to buy into the rhetoric of fear um, because of the reality of Christ. It, it's not going to... Our mortality is unavoidable, but we're called to live beyond fear. And I think, too, we're in an era of alternative facts and where the, the, the very idea of truth and veracity gets called into question daily. Um, and and I think all the ways that we've been talking about scripture, all the ways that we've been talking about revelation this season, all the ways we've been talking about scripture, all the ways we've been talking about the way God is revealed, um, all the ways that, that we've been talking about witnessing, about mutuality, about affirming the oneness but not the sameness of who we are as humanity points to this idea of truth as bigger and all-encompassing, but also recognizable as good and as just and, and, and different than fact and, and different than fiction. And even if this is pseudo-Paul, even if this is, you know, in, in some ways a fiction, um, it still contains truth that is far more expansive than the words on the page in so much as it points to the truth of who Christ is and who God is and the kind of relationality that we are called to and accountable for. Even when the truth is inconvenient, even when being the one stating the truth is an act of courage or an act of defiance. Yeah. Our invitation for you this week 
here at the end of this trek through Ephesians is to think of unity, of being vital members of this one human body as an act of defiance. As we work through this text, we want to make sure that we are also in conversation with you, our listeners. So we invite you to reach out to us with questions, comments, and we'll be addressing these as we go on in subsequent podcasts. You can send your questions to emberfaithcommunity at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you. The Ember Podcast is a production of Ember Faith Community. Your hosts are Jeremy Grafe, Allison Spooner, and Kelsey Wallace. Music written and performed by Subaltern Project. All rights reserved, 2019.